the sermon today is um, the Bible is more like art than straight talk. That's a title. Never give titles before. But um, so winter in Michigan, what do you do? You go to more movies, right? And there have been a spate of really good movies. If you like, like good art kind of movies the last three months. Um, Julie and I don't go to many movies except, wow, we got on a roll. It's offenses, hidden figures, arrivals, a real surprise, good. Um, loving, which uh, was at the uh, Michigan Theater. The, um, Manchester by the Sea, sad, but in a kind of inspiring way. And Moonlight. Uh, if La La Land gets best picture, I'm going to boycott the Oscars for the rest of my life. I, I seriously will. I saw La La Land. It could not hold a candle to any of these other movies. I'm just going to really be, I'm not going to watch the Oscars. Of course, I never have watched the Oscars, so that'll be, a, that'll be a very easy boycott for me to pull off. So uh, my late, late wife, Nancy, um, we remembered her birthday uh, yesterday, February 11th. Nancy saw um, a, a kind of obscure, artsy movie that with two stars, Brad Pitt and Jessica Chastain. Does anyone know the movie I'm referring to? That's how obscure it is. A movie with Brad Pitt and, and, and uh, Jessica Chastain that nobody knows the title of the movie. It was Tree of Life is the movie. It's a head spinner that movie. Nancy comes home from seeing that movie with some of her girlfriends and I ask, what'd you think? And she says, I don't know. That was a very interesting, kind of strange movie. Uh, the next day we're having a dinner at Ronnie's family for, for uh, I think it was a Sunday, and Nancy is telling uh, everyone about this movie. This is like the next day. And while she's describing the movie, she kind of bursts into tears. And I'm like, wow, uh, that movie really affected you. And she said, I know. I was thinking about that movie all through the night. Y you know, for all our praise of, of straight talk, you know, we're supposed to, we're Americans, we love straight talk, plain, simple speech where the point is obvious, that's really not what our souls crave, is it? I mean, straight talk doesn't really feed us the way we need to be fed. But a good movie or a great song or a symphony or a piece of art does for us what straight talk never can. Uh, these things uh, prod us and puzzle us and make us go, huh. And then we pause and then we wonder and we make connections with our own experience and then like a little light bulb goes on and we find that we're deeply moved in a, in a way that we can't actually explain or recount. So the, the six amazing movies I've seen in the last three months, uh, Moonlight, Moonlight moved me in a way that only art can move a person. So Moonlight is a coming-of-age story of a young black gay man living in poverty. It's a lot of strikes. Um, it, in the middle of the movie, there's one furtive, non-graphic sex scene. It's about halfway through. It's his first sexual encounter. I think it's on a beach or near a body of water with another guy. Um, the, the two young men 
lose contact, but years later, later in the movie, they reconnect. And this is the spoiler alert, so close your ears if you don't want the spoiler. But when they reconnect later, it's revealed that this early encounter on the beach was his only sexual encounter at all and how much it meant to him all these years later. And, you know, I'm not gay, I'm not black, I didn't grow up in poverty, and, and, but I came away thinking after, after I saw that movie, that is the most powerful and authentic and tender movie I've ever seen about the meaning of sex. And it was just that one kind of furtive scene. You know, for 500 years since the Protestant reformers will be celebrating the 500th anniversary in 2017 of Sola Scriptura, uh, Martin Luther's uh, slogan that launched the Protestant Reformation, Scripture alone as our authority. Ever since the Protestant reformers gave us Sola Scriptura, we've been trying to squeeze the Bible into a plain truth-talking straitjacket. The Bible, in this view, clearly states truth with no ambiguity. It's just as clear as the nose on your face. That's easy to believe until you actually read the actual Bible. And it's clear this is not a read it and believe it book. This is a ponder book. This is a puzzling book. The, the Bible is so much better, so much powerful than simple plain speech. It's at least as powerful as great art. So the Bible is a means of grace in classic Christian thinking. It's a means of grace and its purpose is to involve us with God. That's the purpose of the Bible. It's like a piece of art does the same thing. It invites us to think and to feel and to question and to dispute and argue and wrestle. But most of all, it invites us to engage our lives. Uh, Maybe to shift the metaphor from art to boxing. Rich is a boxer. We have another box. Pete Miller's our other boxer. Pete Miller's a boxer married to an artist. They're the perfect couple for this this (laughs) sermon. As, as our boxers would tell us, that boxing isn't about the knockout punch. It's about the dance and the weave. It's about the back and, and the forth, right? Can I get a witness? That's what boxing is about. In, in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus is telling a string of parables or uh, stories to engage people with his kingdom coming teaching. Uh, and he taught a lot in parables. Uh, the parable of the sower is found in all uh, uh, three of the uh, same view gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The parable of the sower is about a farmer who scatters his seed and some of the seed, you know, gets blown on a path and it gets trampled and some nestles among some thorny plants and gets choked out and some lands on hard soil and birds come and Uh, take it away, withers quick, and some lands, just a little bit lands on a patch of good dirt and makes it all worthwhile. 
So Jesus tells this story to a crowd that is so big, he has to go out on a, on a boat to make use of the natural amphitheater um, effect of the water as a sound system. It's amazing uh, how sound is projected over a body of relatively calm water. And when he's done, the crowd just disperses and his, a small group of his disciples and probably some wannabe disciples stay behind and they ask him, what was that all about? What was that parable all about? Um, see, they were used to a very different version of the farmer sowing for a big harvest story. This was a traditional like trope. This was a kind of a story that was told a lot in Israel. Sowing for a new harvest was a classic story that was used to address uh, the deepest national frustration of the people of Israel. The prophets used this story or versions of it to speak of the messianic age of deliverance. So the Babylonians had swept down and ravaged Israel centuries earlier, just like the armies of Grant burning the crops of the southerners, sowing resentment that is still with us today and is part of our body politic. Uh, but the Messiah would come to make everything right again, right as rain. He would sow Israel like a farmer back in their good land and bring a harvest of righteousness. This was how this story went. And it was always a grand and a glorious and a finally God going to fix it kind of story. Um, and Jesus tells a version of this story that doesn't quite make sense. Because at the time he tells this story, people widely believe that he's quite possibly the big time Messiah. So they want that story that's like, God's going to fix it and it's going to work big and it's going to work fast and here's how it's going to happen. But his version of that story, more goes wrong than right. right. I mean, three quarters of the seed gets eaten by birds or trampled under or choked. I mean, it's just a waste of the seed. Only one quarter of the seed bears any fruit. So it's like a, it's like a mixed result story. This is not like what the Messiah is supposed to be up to. So you can picture the crowd just dispersing after this story, shaking their heads. What a confusing Messiah. But the smaller group, they stick around and they press in for more. And to that smaller group, meeting on the shore now, Jesus says, the secret of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, not the crowds. Kind of inferring, that's why I tell these stories to see who gets a burr under their saddle enough to stick around to talk about it and, you know, have a beer and what the heck was, what's going on here afterwards. There's something about this weird version of the sowing harvest story that resonated with this smaller group of people. Um, it was as jagged as their reality was jagged. You know, maybe this is how good actually comes into the world. Maybe there's always mixed results before there's any big payoff. Maybe there's lots of false starts before there's any big finish. You know, no one writes the next great novel without first writing a lot of crap that only a mother could love. I mean, that's just the way goodness and greatness and the kingdom of God happens. Edison tried um, 1,000 different filaments until he found the one that lit his bulb. 
Um, he was asked, how did, how did it feel to fail a thousand times? And he said, are you crazy? I didn't fail a thousand times. It took me a thousand steps to succeed. So a story like this, story that Jesus is telling, it, it, it fits your life better. Like, you know, the Fab Five, there's this genre called the, you know, the, the great um, sports movies. The, the story of the Fab Five, they were like the 90s right here, around here, Chris Webber, J Jalen Rose, um, Howard and the rest. They would, that would make a lousy sports movie. You know, co a coach uh, recruits five ringers and they take them to the finals in the first year. Um, no, a great sports movie, that's always a story about a team of misfits who misfire time after time, but they stick together until they, they start to gel. And then there's some setback after they start gelling and all that promise is dashed and then they crawl back and they crawl back until finally the magic happens at the end. It, is all, it always happens at the very end. Uh, there's no like morning after the big magic happens in, in those movies and, and that, that, that at the end makes it all worthwhile. Why does the great sports movie never fail to deliver? Why do you always get choked up and you're moved by the great sports moving? Because real life feels like a setup for a great comeback movie, right? You know, did you ever make sense of the horrible things happening to you by saying, man, this, uh, this, is, this plot is fixing to be a great comeback movie, isn't it? Wow, this could be in one of those awesome movies. So life is a story of mixed results. The parable of the seed helps us like scan the horizon of our life, not focused on the false starts and the failures, but on that little patch of good soil where a few seeds landed a while ago and there, wow, there's some green shoots coming up in the midst of all this other mixed results. That's the power of art and it's, it's way better than straight talk. So to this smaller group, uh, Jesus gives another story of mixed results uh, story in the same theme of, of sowing and, and reaping. He actually gives three or four in the Gospel of Matthew. The, the one that stands out to me and speaks to me right now is uh, a farmer sows some fantastic seed during the day when you should be doing your sowing, but during the night some enemy, some, I don't know, crazy neighbor lady comes and throws weed seed all over his field. And then the farmer has to watch as his field grows weed or barley or whatever, whatever the cash crop was, uh, stuff he wanted, right alongside this scratchy, ugly stuff that makes your kids start wheezing. And he's just sitting there watching it grow in his beautiful field. Now, the farm workers in the story are incensed that this has happened and they want to go out and they want to pull the weeds right away. It's, weeds are ruining your, 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 your beautiful field and your great harvest. But the farmer says, no, don't do that. I mean, use your head, boys. We'll pull the weeds, yes, but in the process, we'll trample the weed. No, wait for the harvest time. Then we cut it all down together and we separate the wheat from the weeds then. So this is like, to me, this is how, how progress happens so often, right? After a long time waiting for a crop of righteousness, 
the, 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 the crop is finally sown and the wheat begins to rise and then there's a setback one that can't be reversed immediately you know some setbacks you can deal with immediately as soon as you recognize it other ones once they start ooh, oh oh no they're, they're going to play out. Something's going to play out here. And, and you're watching the setback play out. And it just seems to be threatening all that progress. It's, it's like the bad dream that you can't wake up from. But you're in the dream. You know you're having a bad dream. You know the solution to this bad dream is wake up. And you're telling your body to wake up. But your body's saying, no, you're trapped in this bad dream. That's what it's like. So, uh, you know, you know, I grew up in the city of Detroit, most segregated city in the United States at the time, I believe. I think it's the Southeast Michigan still has that great high honor. Uh, the time I grew up in Detroit was the uh, 50s and 60s, uh, virtually an all-white police force. Um, in 1967, I would have been like a, I don't know, junior in high school? No, sophomore in high school. Had a time of uh, civil unrest that the white Detroiters in my neighborhood called a riot and the black Detroiters called an uprising. So 40 years later, we elect our first African-American president, and I, I can't believe it. I could barely believe that we were capable of doing that. And then, as soon as he was elected, I worried for eight years that this guy was going to get assassinated because I came of age during the era of assassinations. All the hopeful figures, you know, were assassinated. It was, within five years, I think, between 63 and 68, JFK was assassinated. Um, Malcolm X was assassinated. Martin Luther King was assassinated. I think a few months later, uh, Robert Kennedy was assassinated, running for uh, uh, president during the um, anti-war period. So, so our African-American president makes it two full terms, exits as the most popular president in decades and what happens next well it's not like we elect someone with a different political philosophy fair enough that happens that's actually common that's like our democracy working we all have our favorite political philosophies but no something else happens we elect someone who appoints as his top white house strategist the former head of the biggest media outlet for white supremacists. And then, like, it's two weeks later, and every day we wake up to more news. One day, it's like, it's a Muslim ban. Oh, it's, it's happening. Uh, people with green cards are stuck in the airport. The, the next day, it's climate scientists are now scrambling. To, we have one in our church scrambling to save their data because their new bosses are hostile to their data sets ideologically the next day we wake up and ice is rounding up so many people we have public school teachers in austin texas feeling like they better walk their students from immigrant families home from school that day to make sure their parents haven't been rounded up by the feds and i and, I, and from my perspective I'm sitting here, I'm like, this will not get better anytime soon. This, this stuff is just going to be growing for a while. And I'm going to be like that farmer 
watching the weeds sown by his crazy neighbor lady growing up in the fields alongside of the wheat. What's that going to be like? See, a story like this um, pulls me in by sharing my frustration, right? The hook for the, for the story is my frustration, is that this is not the way it's supposed to work. And it's the Messiah telling a story like this. He's like reaching out to me with our shared frustration. But, but there's hope once I vent the frustration. Because it's a story, I can enter into it. I can feel the frustration. It's okay. That's part of the story. If you're not feeling the frustration, you're not like with this Messiah in his art, in his storytelling. But eventually the farmer reminds me that, well, wait a minute, there's a reckoning coming. Uh, at harvest time, it all gets cut down and then it can be sorted. For me, that day is the midterm elections, you know, and I'm thinking, okay, I need to get my head in the game for the midterms. I've never paid much attention to midterm elections. Change of perspective now. So my inspiration in that piece of Kingdom of God art called this parable, that's, that's, that's what I'm getting out of it. Um, I need to be the farmer who goes into his barn and starts getting his tractor ready, does some maintenance on his combine, fixes the flat tie, uh, tire on his grain cart. And um, um, see, waiting in the Bible is a beautiful thing. Waiting in the Bible is not like waiting the way we think about it as a passive thing. Waiting in the Bible is an active preparation in the present for a day of reckoning. That's what waiting is about in the Bible. And so this is what's going on in this parable. And it, wow, it fits me and my perspective on life as I see things. So should everyone get the same message that I do out of this parable? Well, that's not how art works, right? Like I saw a few people nodding their heads when I mentioned moonlight. Okay, how many people saw moonlight and, and were like, oh, that, I was moved by that. Now, did you get the same thing out of Moonlight that I got out of Moonlight? That'd be kind of cool. Or did you get, like, there was some other reason that it moved you? Chances are, there were, it actually looked like four people saw the movie Moonlight. The rest of you people, you are missing a really good movie. Have you heard of this thing called Netflix? Get the movie. It's a little bit slow at times. You, it's, you have to be patient with the movie. It's not like it doesn't, like you know, get you going from start. It's not, uh, it's not Mad Max, you know, or whatever that, that movie is like, <gasps> like you're on speed the whole time. And you get, uh, no, this is a slow fizz movie, but oh my gosh, it delivers. And you can get something out of it that I didn't. It'll be better for you, Pop, probably. So was the movie bad because different people get different things out of it? Did we say, oh my gosh, that person saw that movie and they got something entirely different out of it? Is that like, oh, well, what a crappy movie? No, it's like, what a great movie. What a piece of art that it has the capacity to take people in different places and, and, and they can connect at different places and they can get like a, a whole different take on their own lives that's empowering to them. That's, that's awesome. That's the way art works. And the Bible is at least as powerful as that. The Bible is more like art than straight talk, which makes it more powerful more helpful, not less. You know, uh, just in closing, it's really funny to me how these 
quirky mixed result stories pack so much punch in, in Matthew chapter 13 when you're actually in the process of living your life. Um, Jesus, in these stories, of, among all the stories that he tells, tells a lot of different stories, for the people who come back to say, what, what was that version of your story all about? For the people who come back and wrestle with him about these set of stories, Jesus says, to you, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given. Nobody quite knows what he meant by that. Probably the people he said it to were like, say what? <laughs> I don't feel like I've got some secret. But, you know, who knows? Maybe it's just the fact that you're the ones who got a burr under your saddle and instead of just going off to Hardy's after the, the great entertainment I was providing everyone, you came back and you're, you're like challenging me and you're asking me and you're saying, what's this version of, the, of, the, of our Israel story that you're telling? This is not making sense to me. Help me with this. Maybe that's the secret. Uh, or maybe the secret is not being put off by mixed results. You know, if you can be the kind of person who knows this secret, that you're not put off when you're involved in an enterprise that has mixed results. The secret is not letting all that wasted seed that falls on hard and hostile ground keep you from emptying your seed sack anyway. Because a little bit of seed on a good patch of dirt can make it all worthwhile. Because the seed is from God. And that is a huge categorical advantage. Or the secret is not getting so discouraged where, when you're in the part of the story where it feels like the bad dream you can't get out of. And the weeds are getting taller before anyone can cut them down. And you don't give up. And you don't give in. And you don't go into hibernation. You don't go to Michigan State and get an engineering degree and stop farming. You do what you need to do to get ready for round two or round 20 or round 2000. Now, it, it's also interesting to me that if you were following along in Matthew 13 on your smartphones or whatever, um, you know, I told, I told a kind of a, a version of the story um, but in both of these parables, Jesus tells the story and the disciples go, say what? And then later, he explains what he meant by the story and he pull, pulls out the allegorical references and he makes it more plain. And in both of his like commentaries on his original story, uh, Satan is a big figure. Uh, now, Satan in this understanding is, simply means the accuser or the adversary. Uh, and Satan makes an appearance in both of these stories, according to Jesus. So it's Satan who is like the flock of birds devouring the seeds that are thrown uh, not on the good soil. And uh, in the other story, Satan is like the crazy neighbor later lady sowing seed uh, at night. And so Satan is a busy boy in these kingdom stories. And, and Satan in the Bible is like a character. And, and he's a character who's like, when, when we have a brush with evil, you know, and when something happens to us, and it, we're kind of terrified, and we're really shaken, 
And it feels like a horror movie and there's that cloud, you know, like the Nazgul in the, in the uh, uh, Lord of the Rings, you know, those black flying horses that go overhead and Frodo and Bilbo, they get like a, a chill in the air. There's, there's that feeling that we have when things are really going bad. In, in these stories, that, that function of that is, is the Satan, means the accuser or the adversary. Like when you go to work and you've got an adversary at work, you walk into the office and you see the adversary and you just feel like a chill that feeling or if you're in a setting where there's someone talking behind your back and just accusing you of things and, and they're always on your case accusing you and you come into that setting maybe it's your family and you just you feel you can feel the weirdness of it all it just feels like a chill that's what that's what Satan is doing in these two stories that Jesus is, is telling but the thing is in, in both these stories the way to defeat the Satan is to just ignore him just pay him no mind it's like just because he's huffing and puffing doesn't mean he has the power to blow your house down right <laughs> you know it's all it's a lot of bluster it's a lot of bluster it's a lot of attention that the Satan generates when he's a character in our story but just like in the three little pigs he doesn't actually have the power to blow our house down and the way to defeat him is to like know the secret that you ignore him you pay no mind and you know in a world of mixed results you keep your eyes on that surprising good that survives and rises up despite all the tomfoolery that's going on around it and the people who have that understanding of life are the people who have the secret of the kingdom of God. It's a powerful, powerful thing to stick into your uh, bag of tricks, so to speak. Okay, I'm done. Uh, let us, um, I think I've been talking about the story. Let me just read the story to you for our time of quiet reflection. We take a uh, little time to reflect afterwards, a couple of minutes or so. And so let me just um, read the story direct from the Bible here. I'll read the second story. Maybe I'll read it a time or two. And just invite you to kind of um, put yourself into the story, to connect with the story in a way that kind of fits in with your, your life. This would be the parable of the weeds, Matthew 13, starting at verse 24. Why don't you just get relaxed in your seat there? Maybe close your eyes, put yourself in a receiving, listening kind of mode. Don't worry about little noises that are made. This is a time of quiet, not silence. Um, you can do anything with the time that you want to, of course. You're free. But listen to this. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, 
Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. And just sit with that story. Put yourself in the middle of it as the farmer maybe for about a minute. So God, we pray in, in whatever multiple ways that that story may connect with us, we ask you to give us the confidence of the experienced farmer who's seen it all before, knows how harvests work, and uh, give us the focus of the farmer uh, to be ready for the next round. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.